Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil, reunited, and it feels so good. How are you doing? I'm good. He won 115 to 107. Yeah. So uh, a game that I didn't expect us to win because what the Heat were down by 20 ish points. 19 point deficit at one point and uh, looking very bleak. The Lakers in particular seemed like they were hitting everything from outside. At one point, uh, Nick Young went on his, one of his vaunted hot streaks and uh, seemed like he was just unstoppable. And luckily for Miami, he cooled off and Miami seemed to get things going late in the second half. So um, you and I were like texting back and forth uh, at the beginning of the game where if if the Heat were going to lose by 20 points, which it kind of looked like in the beginning, we were going to just talk about the Shaquille O'Neal jersey retirement for this podcast, but they ended up winning. So we're going to do a, a brief recap here. And we're going to talk about the Shaq stuff a little bit later. So I thought the difference in the game, obviously Justice wins a lot of huge game when I yeah, want to talk uh, about him, but the difference in the game also was the points in the paint. Uh Miami outscored the Lakers 56 to 36, so 20 more points in the paint than LA. And I thought Whiteside had a pretty strong game. He started a little bit slow. I thought Mozgov, frankly, got the better of him in that first quarter. Really, when that run started, Spolstra pulls Whiteside. Mm-hmm. Willie Reed comes in, doesn't do much of anything, really, uh, as much as Shaquille O'Neal wanted him to be Willis Reed. And, uh, Whiteside comes back in, and I don't know what happened when he got pulled that first time between then and coming back in the game, but he really stepped it up afterwards. 9-12 for the game, 13 rebounds, 9-12 from the field for 23 points, just one turnover. He had a block. Overall, plus 13 for the game. A really solid game from Whiteside, and like I said, after he came back in, I thought established his presence a lot better. Yeah, uh, a tale of two halves for him. That first half was... To me, anyway, watching it, uh, it felt like the very worst of him. A guy who just seemed to lack engagement. He was getting pushed around by Mozgov. Couldn't fight or wouldn't fight for positioning on rebounds. Uh, seemed to settle for his shots. Wasn't really taking a lot of shots early on, which is unusual considering the the recent you know cry for for more shots and more shot opportunities. More but, touches, yeah. Yeah, he didn't seem particularly aggressive, and uh, I, I think that's. Obviously, what led Spolstra to the early benching, I mean, obviously, you don't want to get him in foul trouble or anything like that when he seems to be a little disengaged. But at the same time, uh, you know, you expected more from him and he was able to bounce back. So, yes, I don't think he was necessarily a huge difference maker, but he was certainly a factor and and much better, a much better version of himself. And, and we've seen that from him in the past. You know, we've seen that, I think, throughout the you know first year and a half of his career here in Miami is that he's been a guy who's shown third quarter and fourth quarter, not necessarily fourth quarter, but third quarter flashes there where he's able to establish himself a little bit more in the second half. And I think that was what we saw tonight as well. 
And I think another big part of that difference, that disparity in the paint, was Justice Winslow, who, for the most part, has given up on perimeter shots, took one three-pointer. Right? Very good. He was 10 of 16 in the game, 23 points, 13 rebounds. Justice Winslow had a double-double with points. This is amazing. And this was obviously a career-high scoring for him. It was good to see him, I think, really, like, look, I don't think that he's going to start scoring 23 points a game now, but I feel like he did turn a corner here where it's, he decided, look, I'm not going to take these jumpers. Screw it. I'm done. I'm going to get into the lane. I'm going to get into the rim. And over the last two games, he's developed this great spin move, the spins low. And Ooh. yeah, is that like what that. you're calling it, or is that something that we picked up from NBA Twitter? No, this is something I'm calling it, and NBA Twitter picked nice. it up from me. Yeah, nice fact. Starting that, <laughs> the Spinslow, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is something that I we've started seeing in the last game and the in that Magic game. I I kept an unofficial count as soon as I started noticing. I think he did it like three times. It's little. You know, he dribbles a couple times, going right, like squares up with the defender, and then just spins around him, and gets right. to the lane for a, uh, gets to the basket with a layup, and he did it three times in that Magic game, and made all three of his shots in that Magic game, and he went back to it tonight, and that is exactly what you want to see from young players, right? This is something that we as Heat fans haven't really been exposed to for quite a while, having, you know, a veteran Dwayne Wade and established players like Chris Bosh and LeBron James and, and Ray Allen and all these guys, like, they knew their moves, right? They knew how they scored by the time that they were with the Heat. You know, Wade obviously developed with the Heat, but that was very long ago. And to see players kind of figure things out, and he's like, oh, wait, I could do this spin move thing, and it works for me. And he's clearly figured that out, and he went to it again tonight. And it wasn't all of his ten makes were on weren't on that. He had an, a couple nice step backs. He he was able to put his body into guys. These are things that we wanted to see from him. So that mid range game, his game in the paint, really contributed to that advantage there. And it was a really great game from Winslow overall. Speaking of great games, I think you have something about a great opportunity to tell our listeners. Yes. Our listeners who are real Heat fans, so I know that they would appreciate this because what do re- real Heat fans want to do? They want to go, go to the real heat. heat games. The easiest way to do that is with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for Miami Heat games that you want to see up close and in person. There's nothing like being in the arena for the biggest moments of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats that you want for what? A great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And it's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game of the season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket, because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always get you the lowest available price. It's doing the work for you, folks. And I don't know, look, Christmas is Sunday. This is going to be going up on a Friday morning. It's, it's, look, you don't have a lot of time if you forgot to ship something from Amazon or to go to the shopping mall. You could just go to SeatGeek and buy the tickets. Boom. In like 15 seconds, you have a, a great gift for the Heat fan in your life. Nice. So, and if you're doing that, or if you're just buying tickets for yourself, which I recommend, to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase, this is what you can do. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the, setting ta- go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, 
then enter the promo code LOHEAT, that's L-O-H-E-A-T, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your very first ticket purchase. It's like they're paying you to use their service. So download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code LOHEAT today, and save your 20 bucks. All right. I liked, I really did like Winslow's aggression, and you know it's one of the things I feel like you know we've been missing from Dion Waiters, obviously. And I know as as much of a maligned player as he's been, and not necessarily as efficient, we've spoken a number of times about how important it is to have a guy like Waiters just be able to drive to the hoop, create offense that way, um, even if it's just going to result in a putback from Hassan Whiteside or something along those lines. It's it's right. still aggressive offense and that's something that's been lacking on occasion and so that's what we really saw from White, from Winslow tonight very very impressive just willing to put his head down go to the hoop um, didn't matter who was trying to defend him not that you know the Lakers are known for their strong defense at this time I think they're mostly trying to really just outscore opponents but at the same time you know just getting past any defender in this league is a difficult thing and, and Winslow was able to do a very effective job of it so we just kind of want to see that. I kept looking at him and, and, and noticing, as you pointed out, that he's just not taking that outside shot. And you know what? Wade wasn't an efficient outside shooter for most of his career. You know, his, his resurgence in Chicago for the first half of the season notwithstanding, you know, he's not necessarily known for his efficient outside shot. So it, you can still generate quality offense if you're aggressive and go to the hoop. Maybe it's not necessarily the best shot attempt. You'd like to be able to shoot threes at a higher rate. But it does create some offense, and and you know he was looking to connect with those guys. If he if he you know if the lane was blocked for any reason, he'd kick it out to an open three point shooter, and that's the kind of offense that we need. It's been missing at times, and you know the Heat's record isn't a good one. I don't expect a bounce back at any point, but we're looking towards the future. And as long as we're seeing this aggression from Winslow and this constant you know this consistent development offensively, I'm not too worried about his lack of a perimeter shot. He had a team high plus 22 plus minus tonight. And to piggyback on what you're saying here, this was kind of the first look that we got into what a heat team with Winslow as a scoring option would look like. Because we know that Whiteside and Dragic are going to put their numbers up, right, for the most part. Right. And, yeah, maybe you get a nice game from James Johnson. Maybe you get a nice game from Tyler Johnson. Uh, when Waiters was healthy, maybe you get a, a nice 15 points from him or something. This was the first time I thought that Winslow was the bona fide, you know, second or third scoring option on the team, you know, depending on the situation. And we saw him bring the ball up late in the game in the fourth quarter in, in the waning moments of the game. He's When it was still a close game, he was bringing the ball up. And I go back to that Magic game that the Heat lost in double overtime, that last possession of regulation of the fourth quarter. They ran a pick and roll with Justice Winslow and Tyler Johnson, and that seemed funny with Winslow handling the ball, Tyler Johnson setting the screen for him, when Whiteside was having such a great game, and Tyler Johnson was also having a great game. They both ended up with 32 points. But for Winslow to be handling the ball, I thought that maybe Spolster was like, okay, we're in this game, but this is a really great opportunity to give, to hand this learning moment to Justice Winslow. And he didn't. He didn't. He didn't succeed. He missed a layup, right? And that that ended up forcing overtime. And eventually, the Heat lost that game. But tonight, the good version of that, I thought, kind of appeared. And Winslow was hitting those layups. He was getting those shots in the lane. He was able to create for himself and for others. And that was a. This was a good peek into what that could potentially look like for the Heat if Winslow does develop a a, a consistent scoring game. And right. and that was exciting. 
Um, I don't think we broke down the stats, but very impressive line. 10 of 16 shooting overall for 23 points, a career high, as you said. Just three of six from the free throw line. So just if he hits a couple more of those more along uh, his, his, you know, with his potential and what I think his average is, um, you know, that would be a 25 point outing for him, which would be absolutely huge. Did finish with 10 rebounds. I'm sorry, 13 rebounds, 10 of which were defensive rebounds, three offensive, uh, three assists, very impressive, mm-hmm. and four steals. So he was just very active defensively as well. It's something that had been missing during the 16 games that he missed. And I'm looking here at the at the final stat lines for everybody. We almost had four players score 20 points or more tonight. I don't think that's happened all season. James no Johnson fell one point short. 19 points, right? Yeah, 8 of 11 from the line, 3 of 5 from three-point range, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 1 block. I love James Johnson, man. Yeah. I, he, I, he did the whole thing where he was playing center, he played power forward, he was bringing the ball up. I mean, the dude's great, and having him and Winslow in the game at the same time works, and that was something that we weren't sure would work, and it does, uh, especially now that James Johnson has this, re, you know, this he's found this three-point shot. And uh, Goran Dragic is worth a call out here, 6 of 15, um, three of six from the line. Goran Dragic, maybe our best three-point shooter this season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, it's not even just the fact that he's hitting him, which he is at a pretty consistent rate. But it seems to me that he's doing it more frequently, if anything, in the second half when those shots, when in Miami, as they invariably do, always get into a bit of a hole. It always seems like Dragic's shooting is a big part of helping them climb their way out of that, and that was certainly the case tonight. It just in the fourth quarter, in particular, I yes. think he hit, he hit at least two, two of his two in the yeah, last okay. five minutes. Right. Yeah. So this is it's like super clutch of him. You know, these are the kinds of things that we expect. Maybe not necessarily huge numbers, but you know, I mean, at just the right time. You you can't say enough about. You know, Dragic, I think. He's just shown that he's consistently been Miami's best player. And to do it at just those right moments, I mean, this is the kind of ex- – these are the kinds of things that we expected from him when we traded for him. Again, that was in context of a title-contending veteran-laden team. And unfortunately, that's not the roster that's been built around him this season. But he's still performing at a pretty high rate. And I think that's why he's – you know, his value is as high as it's ever been. I'm yeah, wondering I'm glad not, you bring that I, up. Um, as far as Johnson is concerned, James Johnson, that is. Sure. In order to re-sign him, would you be willing to trade away Josh uh, Richardson or Ooh. Tyler Johnson? If that, if just saving that kind of extra money would be enough to sign him, would it be something that you you'd want to do because you need that kind of veteran presence off the bench, or or you'd rather build around that younger core? I know this is coming kind of from out of the blue here. It really but is. Just, You're putting me on the spot here. Sorry. So James Johnson's 29, and really the game he's playing right now is kind of what you'd want from Justice Winslow in a lot of ways, right? Where he could come in and play a little bit of center, he could bring the ball up, he could do he could be as versatile as James Johnson is, hit some perimeter shots. That's really the game you'd want from Winslow. So I do wonder if and I'm just I'm really just spitballing here. I don't have any, you know, empirical data to back this up, but I wonder if having James Johnson on a long term deal would almost cap Winslow's potential in his development because you want him to play that position. I don't know if there's room for more than one guy to do that, to be honest. Like, can the Warriors have more than one Draymond Green? I know that's a, a lofty comparison, but, you know, the point remains. Can you have more than one of those kind of guys on the team and let them ex- expand their game to the degree to which that they need to in order to be as effective as they can be? Can't James Johnson play that Draymond role a little bit better than, say, Winslow 
kind of shifts into an Iguodala type role. That's a good point. Maybe that's what happened. So I don't know if I'd be willing to trade Tyler Johnson because I don't know. I think that Tyler Johnson's if you could get something back for him, then certainly. If you can get like a first round pick, then maybe that starts to make sense where you actually you're not just shipping these guys off just to sign James Johnson, but no, you're, I understand. You're, you're if you're getting a valuable and equal asset in return, then I'd be down. Look, I want James Johnson in my life as long as possible. So um, Josh Richardson, I still like him. I think that these he it, it's been just a bad year for him. I mean, he started yeah. it off injured. He's still injured. We we're hearing about this new wrist injury that might be not that new. So there's obviously health concerns with Richardson. It's really eating into his game this season. Maybe a little bit of a sophomore slump. I still believe in him long term. I don't know how. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I still believe him in long term. But I don't know, man. I say just give James Johnson the Chris Bosh money and not overthink it. If it's if it's available, I don't see why not. Any other uh, news or notes from tonight's game that you want to discuss in detail? I thought Tyler Johnson had an effective game, 14 points, four six three-pointers, six assists, zero turnovers, I think for the second straight game for Tyler Johnson. Really? When he had his career high against Orlando? No I'm not sure yet. It's either in that game or the game before. So Tyler Johnson... Two of the last been... three games. Let's okay, see. yeah. So i'm bringing up his game log right now but james johnson who, or i'm sorry tyler johnson who is in such a yeah zero turnovers in the last two games for tyler johnson wow yeah and uh he was in a he was in a major slump for so much of a december right and he only had one game where he scored more than 20 and really his shooting percentages were way off he's shooting like you know 30s and 20s percents in these last two games i thought he was really effective didn't get he had 14 points on 5 of 14 tonight, but with those six assists, I thought he was able to create a lot more points. So I thought he was able to put a stamp on the game, and again, those zero turnovers really helped. So he wasn't, able to, he wasn't taking any points off the board, so to speak. So I've been really impressed with Tyler Johnson. His little mini resurgence here at the end of December has been um, reassuring. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he had a, a pretty good game. So, all right, let's talk a little bit then about Shaq. Whose jersey was retired and put into the rafters at halftime. Really gonna okay, I'm gonna be honest here. Wasn't that excited about this. I thought it was a little gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I started to get the feels a little bit at halftime though. You know, it, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I went through kind of that same thing when I first heard about the announcement earlier season. It seemed like mostly a PR move kind of yeah. coming off a really bad summer where you lost Dwayne Wade and you may or may not effectively have shoved Chris Bosh out the door or something <laughs> along those lines. So to all of a sudden agree, hey, you know, while we're playing the Lakers, why don't we just go ahead and retire Shaq's jersey? So there, there were certainly elements of that, and I, I believe that's still the case. Thinking more along about his impact here in Miami and everything. Well, uh, can I can I interrupt you for a second? Absolutely. Um, that's not a bad thing, right? If it that, was a that PR, it's a PR if, move, yeah, I thought you know, obviously the Heat, I think from a PR standpoint, took a hit this season with all these you know with Bosch's uninterrupted videos, not casting the sure. Heat organization in a good light with Dwayne Wade and everything that how that situation was handled. A lot of people looking at. Pat Riley in the heat as the enemy there. It's not a bad strategy to pull a PR stunt in a way and kind of make nice with a former player who, remember, as we all know, didn't leave Miami in the best of terms when Shaq was traded to Phoenix. And there was a lot that went down then. 
So to make amends now and kind of show out to the world that, okay, we're adults, we could be the bigger person here, and we can, you know, reward and recognize a great player when they've passed through here, that's a good PR move by an organization that really values the, their identity as a top-flight organization, right? So I don't, I, it's not that that's a bad thing. I think it was very smart strategically. No, you're you're absolutely right about that. I just think that if if for some people who might see it critically, and I know I certainly felt that way when I first heard about it, yeah. it just came across as being somewhat disingenuous. Sure. Like part of the problem is that there always seems to be a lack of transparency from from the top brass, particularly Pat Riley, where he says certain things or he comes across and delivers these platitudes about loyalty and team and always dedicating yourself, blah, blah, blah. And those kinds of things ring hollow and empty when you see some of the things that we've seen or heard about from players that have either left here unhappily or, uh, you know, or just were forced off the team for one reason or the other. So, you know, it's hard to kind of swallow and then for him to flip that around and say, we recognize how important Shaquille O'Neal was to this organization, so we're going to retire his jersey. There just seems to be something incongruous about that and mm-hmm. that I think a lot of fans might feel a little – it just feels a little wrong, I think, particularly because, like you pointed out, he didn't leave here on good terms. It's like why reward a guy who kind of burnt his bridge and, and shat on it on his way out of town? You know, It's like that's that's not exactly the kind of, of thing that you want to reward – but, well, to make and, amends, right? There's value in that. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, if that's truly what it is, and I don't know that that it is. I, I don't think, think it's it more is. About I think, I think you're right. Yeah, I think absolutely you're right. Like, yes, did it seem a little disingenuous? Sure, but I do, and maybe this is just me wanting to believe this, right? That maybe it did start as a PRF stunt. And yes. it did start as something disingenuous. But when every when Pat Riley and Shaq had to, you know, really were forced through interviews and the media that went all behind right. this to remember all those moments and stuff, I do genuinely, I felt a warmness there. I felt that maybe the, you know, that this disingenuous thing turned into something really genuine. And maybe that's I, I me think, just projecting. No, no, I agree 100%. I think, we, I think we all bore witness, if we saw the ceremony, to their relationship healing. Like right like there, I, I think in front we, of us. We, like that's we're when it privy happened. to what normally would have been a private scene of reconciliation for them. You know, for, for him to have dumped... The the the, ba- the little slips of paper from the you know whatever it was from the uh, twelve strong was it fifteen strong twelve 15, strong I can't fifteen strong there's fifteen players 15 in the strong, roster sorry yeah. fifteen strong from you know re- uh, recollecting what happened during the two thousand six title run and and I don't think Shaq expected that and I think at first he was kind of embarrassed because you know you kind of felt like maybe Riles was taking a little dig but it really was just trying to reconnect and, and build up this moment where there was something really special and magical happening on their way towards winning a title. And, and I think you could hear off camera when Riley kind of apologized for doing that, you know, publicly and things like that. And Shaq's like, no, no, don't worry about it. That's okay. And, and just to see him connect with Riles and to address the fact that, you know, there might have been some rumors about a bad blood between us, but that's not the case. To see him connect with Zoe again, shout out Spolstra and the Arisons, yeah, and, and, and Udonis in particular. Come that, on, I mean that was a great moment, right? That was really what started making me tear up a little bit there. That's like a brotherhood, right? You yeah. saw that, right? You that was there was yeah, that was something real right there when he when Haslam came out like and to see Haslam smile, it was like right? one out of the three times it's ever happened. Like if Haslam got married. Haslam got married recently, 
And maybe that was like, smile. I don't think he smiled during the whole ceremony. I've seen him smile twice. One, when he's talking about Subway subs, when he's giving out ki- uh, toys to kids at Christmas and yeah. tonight, and that's it. I saw him smile a little bit almost when I asked him about Karan Butler once. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. But he did it. Like you could tell like there was something maybe, but he didn't. This was a genuine smile. And, and that was that was a real that was a really touching moment, I thought, because I mean it's hard to believe, but Shaq was only in Miami for three years. It doesn't it seems like it was longer. It it does, doesn't it? And I was thinking about that watching Lou Dang on the other side for the Lakers is like, is he gonna get his jersey retired too? I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, you know, the impact wasn't quite the same for the you know, one playoff run that we had during Lou tenure here. But, you know, it, 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 I think that's part of what people are looking at as far as whether or not that should have had his jersey well, retired. I mean, Shaq but. really did change the landscape for the Heat, oh, right? He changed doubt. the whole story. But, you know, for just to kind of keep going on with this this ceremony here, that, that moment with Alonzo Mourning where I thought uh, Shaq, who is, what, top 10 all-time player? Top 20 easily, right? It was just I, you know, not easily. I've seen debates about it, and I think I think you and I might have him up there. But some people think that he didn't realize his potential, that he could have done more, and that maybe he kind of grew out of shape or wasn't necessarily as fully engaged during the regular season. All of which yeah, are, are, are kind of happy. He didn't he didn't help himself by bouncing around with like the Cavs and the Celtics towards the end of his career. Sure. He didn't help himself. Yeah, the big leprechaun. Yeah, <laughs> right. But. uh for him to – when he was talking about Alonzo Mourning in the um, – about that 2006 final series and for him yeah. to openly say, I didn't have my best series and you really yeah. stepped up and backed me up there. That's for true. him to say that, I thought it was very egoless and that was very – to you know to borrow terms from Pat Riley in his book and stuff like that. Like that was without ego and that was really – I thought that was like a nice thing. It was very – it was very much the heat way for him to recognize that in front of the Heat fans the way that he did. Not to completely drink the Kool-Aid on all this stuff, because you know I don't. I'm very critical. But the, I, it's just the general sentiment in that moment was very appropriate. And, and you know, I wrote about this for, uh, well, Fan Rag NBA. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that uh, when the, the comments came out earlier this season about whether or not Shaquille O'Neal was Miami's greatest acquisition. It kind of seemed like a dig at, you know, LeBron James and other trades that he's pulled off. But the reality is that while the acquisition of Zoe in 95 was the first building block and and obviously acquiring, you know, Chris Bosh and LeBron James in 2010 were a huge step towards title contention, none of that happens without Shaq in 2004. He, he legitimized this organization. He made he you're right, legitimized it transform them into Atlanta Hawks level, just perennial contenders to legit contenders uh, and, and a championship a organization. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Something the Hawks haven't done since they were in St. Louis. I mean, it's, it, that's the kind of thing that it makes a difference. You, yeah. you take away like the big three era, let's say it never happens for whatever reason. Miami is still a title winning team in 2006. And that was because Shaq was there because Dwayne Wade played a a great rookie season. And and he was enough to convince a disgruntled O'Neal that maybe Miami might be a good place to resuscitate his career. And he certainly did. He had a great couple seasons, two of which, you know, were, were probably uh, MVP contending seasons. Mm -hmm. if not for Steve Nash, putting up some pretty impressive numbers with the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like Riley said, it was, not just a really great player, but 
a universal star, right? It brought oh, yeah. it took it brought a lot more eyeballs to the Miami Heat organization too. Oh, yeah, created a much larger fan base. Really started that transition from a football town to a basketball town. It came at the perfect time, right? For that, right? Uh, I can't yeah. remember when Ricky Williams retired from the Dolphins, but it was not much longer after that. I don't think so. No, I think it was right around that same era. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. They, they seem pretty complimentary to one another. But at the same time, I, I was just thinking about it and seeing the the video montage of him kind of getting off from the big diesel truck and, um, you know, all the different costumes and poses and yeah. all the, the same kind of buffoonery that we've come to expect from Shaq. But at that moment, those things were so huge. Like, like you know, obviously Miami was a great team with Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway. But those were playoff teams that got beat up in a very ugly era of basketball with the Knicks and everything else like that. As great and fun as those teams were, they weren't exactly the most exciting. Then obviously there was a number of struggles there between 2000 and 2003 before Dwayne Wade was acquired where they were just ugly seasons as well. They weren't making the playoffs. Half the roster was injured or a bunch of scrubs that you never really heard of and Eddie Jones. I mean, it was just a, a very weird era. And then all of a sudden you've got this burst of, of rookie energy in Wade and, and, and you know, Karan Butler starts playing well. Lamar Odom plays well. Brian Grant is able to hold down the fort. Those were really, that was a really exciting season, but then, you know, Shaq was Shaq, you know, right. we think of it now in terms of, you know, uh, uh, Shaq and a fool and getting really, really fat and, and getting divorced <laughs> and, and all the other BS that's come, the drama that's come after his career and, and the three teams that he played for after he left Miami. But at that point in time, he was a megastar. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's just a player quite at the same level other than LeBron James. And that's partly why 2010 was as exciting as it was. And um, to go back to that, conversation we had with uh, Heat play-by-play announcer Eric Reed before the season started. We asked him, like, who was the craziest, biggest, most interesting personality that you ever come across in his time with the Heat? And he's been with the Heat for basically the entire time, right? Yeah. And he said Shaq, despite LeBron James coming through, despite a a renaissance man like Chris Bosh being with the team. I mean, he said... Shaquille O'Neal, and he's like he was the funniest guy I've ever met. Did you did you see a piece by ESPN's George Sedano about how he would like get butt naked and roll around with the training staff? That was amazing. I don't want to ever be in that situation. Never, but never. I love that God. that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's that seems crazy. That's crazy, and I think I, I love. Was I think, it Alonzo or was it, of course, yeah. He said he knew he wasn't going to do that with me. He's going to get his ass beat. But that was <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny though. Like, yeah, and that's funny. Even Shaq alludes to it. He's like, yeah, he was all about business, you know. But <laughs> that was that morning was all seriousness and grim intensity, right. and Shaq was just playful buffoonery that just happened to dominate with sheer size and power. I mean, there was just so much about him there, and and <laughs> to think about that kind of personality in the locker room and the good times they had. I don't want to think that about was... it that much, though. I really don't. <laughs> not that. I want to think <laughs> oh. about other good times, not naked rolling around locker room times. Because gotcha. I can imagine as media, both you and I have been in locker rooms. <laughs> I don't want to see that at all. <laughs> Nothing. I don't want anything to do with that. No. Um, you could do that somewhere else. <laughs> okay. I got one last question for you. Um, all right. Not two questions. Oh. First question. Uh, there, he told Alonzo Morning or not Alonzo Morning. Shaquille O'Neal told a story about how he moved to South Beach and decided that like I was partying every night and I asked Coach, Coach being Riley, to move practice back from 10 a.m. to noon. Do you think that actually right. happened? Do you think Riley did that? I do. 
I think I think Riley has that kind of reputation for being a hard ass and, and you know the, the Schenectady roots, uh, the blue collar intensity, and all that. But I think even for a you know, notoriously push and, and 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 headstrong coach like him, I think you have to make some accommodations, and I think that's probably one of them. Yeah, I agree with you. And the second question is. We've been back and forth on whether or not Pat Riley almost tried to drown himself to make a point. That whole story, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the ice the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, the ice little yeah, the ice luge or what the ice lunge or whatever he did said he did, where he was talking about willpower or something and just held his breath in a ice cold bucket of water for seventeen minutes or something crazy. <laughs> And <laughs> oh yeah, Shaq said that 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 Riley said that the record for holding your head underwater for, and then <laughs> it was six minutes, and he held it under there for ten minutes. And then I, I remember reading later on after that happened that Alonzo, you know, a guy who supports Riley and almost everything he does, was starting to get really freaked out and wondering, oh my God, what if he's drowned there and we're just gonna pull his body out of this bucket? But no. He survived the, the experience. And, so we've uh, heard like this happened and then it kind of like, okay, this didn't happen. Do you think it happened? Too many people have said it has. I don't see at what point. Look, I – Do you think – okay, mean, let why, me ask you this. Do you think it was seven minutes or do you think it was like a really dramatic two minutes? Yeah, that's probably closer to reality. Okay. Right. Like even seeing anybody stick their head in there for thirty seconds, you'd be like, "Wow, why? You know, we're here having good a good time in the locker room. I'm rolling around naked, Pat. Why you got a you know, buzzkill here? <laughs> buzzkill with your ice bucket. <laughs> pour pour an ice water on them. All our fun here. Oh my god. All right. I think that's good for today's show, right? I think that's a good uh, end note. Yeah. So. uh Little show note here: We won't have a Monday episode because Sunday is Christmas, and I don't think that we're going to record on Christmas. I think that's fair. So I think it's a, a sad day in Heat history when the Heat aren't playing on Christmas for the first time in a bazillion years. Good news is you can get those sweet Christmas jerseys and in, in gear for a discount now. There you go. So always, you know, silver lining, right? There all right. Go. So uh, to all of our listeners, have a happy holiday. We'll catch you next week. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, we appreciate that you're listening. Thank you to SeatGeek, the friendliest and smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Use the promo code LOHEAT to get $20 after your first SeatGeek purchase, especially if you need a last-minute gift. That makes it really easy. You can buy it on your phone. Super easy. No shipping. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at LockedOnHeat or by email where you can send us mailbag questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And if you're not subscribed already... You should do that, and then you can get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Helps our position on the iTunes charts. Helps other people discover their show. We'll catch you next time. Merry Christmas, David. Merry Christmas, Wes. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is nine ninety-nine. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.